0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Welcome to LJCC. So glad you can join us today. Glad you can brave the harsh weather. Would you stand with, uh, with us, if you're able, and uh, lift your voices and let's sing. "The First Noel.
1: Good morning would you pray with me good morning father thank you for who you are sovereign over all creation you laid the foundations of the earth and marked off its dimensions you shut the sea behind its door you give orders to the morning and show dawn its place you are seated on your holy throne reigning over the nations Let us shout to you with joyful praise. Forgive us, Father, when we forget who you are and go our own way. You are merciful, faithful, abounding in love. Help us to come before you and confess our sin with a repentant heart. Thank you, Father, for piercing the darkness with the birth and life of Jesus, heaven's long-awaited reply. Your son, fully God, fully human, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting peace, everlasting father, prince of peace. In him, you brought peace to our violence. In him, you give living water to our hungry souls. Through him, his broken body, the true bread of life for our salvation. Thank you, Lord. There is so much brokenness and pain in this world, it is hard for the human mind to comprehend. But you, Lord, are able and willing to hear and respond to our prayers. We pray that our leaders know you and seek your wisdom. We pray for our family and friends to be healed of disease and illness. We pray for our children to know you and flourish in the abundance of your love. We pray for your mercy and justice in a chaotic world. Father, may we seek to be an instrument of your love. Thank you this morning, Father, for Pastor Steve's message. Thank you for how you will teach us and guide us, that you choose to reveal yourself through your word, through others joined in fellowship, and during quiet times in prayer with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Well, good morning, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Thanks for braving the, uh, the northern winter to get here. Um, or if you're joining us online, thank you for, uh, for braving your couch or your office or, uh, or even joining us on a podcast on a walk. Um, just thanks. I'm so glad to be worshiping God with you here this morning. Um, when you, if you are here in person, when you walked in, you got a bulletin. And um, on the back of that bulletin, we're advertising our Christmas Eve service. Um, you can hand that to a friend, invite uh, friends and family, neighbors um, to be here with us on Christmas Eve, um, which is coming up quick. Uh, and then on the bottom of the um, bulletin on one side is a uh, a prayer card. We would just love to be joining with you in prayer. Um, don't try and do life alone, you know. Uh, if you've got something heavy, you know, share that, and we want to be praying with you. And if you're celebrating, we want to be praying with you. So uh, uh, fill out whatever whatever you got going on. And then on the uh, other side is a Connect card. You can just give us your name, email address, email uh, address, phone number um, will uh, we'll spam you about once a week um, with a great newsletter um, that you'll uh, uh, learn about everything that's going on in the life of the church. Um, and then on the bottom of the Connect card, uh, just for a, a few weeks here is our, um, our faith commitment card. So if this is your church home and you've made a commitment to giving and tithing, um, just consider writing what you plan to give in 2023. And that just helps the leadership uh, here plan out the year in front of us. Um, and then this, uh, this bulletin, if you fold it in half like twice, it'll rip really cleanly, and you can drop it in the uh, box on your way out. So uh, thank you, and, and let's continue worshiping. Thank you,
3: Drake. Well, uh, Merry Christmas. It is that season. We get to say that now. Uh, I get to use all my uh, Hawaiian words, mele kalikimaka, um, some of my friends who live in Hawaii, uh, they kid me. They go, every time you call me, it doesn't matter what time of year it is, you say, mele kilikimaka. And I said, well, if that's all you know, if a hammer's all you got, everything is a nail, you know. Uh, Merry Christmas. God wants you to enjoy your life. Does that surprise you uh, or not? Uh, God wants you to enjoy your life. And let me ask you this question. Are you enjoying your life? And you don't have to nod your head or uh, say anything, but Uh, You might be sitting here saying, yeah, I really am. I'm absolutely enjoying my life. Uh, You might be sitting here saying, well, I wish I could, but the life that I was enjoying is long gone. It's in the past. Or I would enjoy life, but for, and there's a long list of things. Uh, That's natural. Uh, A friend of mine uh, has been um, going up to San Quentin uh, voluntarily and uh, working with 42 prisoners, uh, convicts, some in for life, some with a sense that they might get out and have a life outside of the walls of that place. Uh, and all of a sudden, uh, these 42 guys, all of a sudden, after weeks and weeks and weeks and months uh, together in this program, are saying, I have never enjoyed my life more. Is that a mind-boggling thought? Somebody could be in the harsh environs of San Quentin prison and say, I have never enjoyed my life more. In fact, I'm a little nervous about being released, because I've never had the depth of conversations. I've never understood myself, my motivation, the meaning of my life, the possibilities of my life like I do now. And my friend says, if you read the transcripts of, their, of the reason they're they're there, you'd say, whoa, hope these guys never get out, or these guys deserve to be here. Instead, though, what he says is, having been with them, I could say, um, I'd want them to be my neighbor. I'd want them to be you know, uh, part of my network of friends. And he's doing everything he can to make that happen. So where are you? Are you enjoying your life? Or maybe you're postponing enjoying your life. You're saying, you know, I'll, I'll enjoy it when? Because you know, as soon as this happens, or I achieve that, then, yeah, I'm going to enjoy my life. You know when you say you're going to enjoy your life, when? It'll never happen. Because there'll be always something popping up saying, no, later. you got to push it out a little bit more. But God wants us to enjoy life. And, and because that sounds like so many things that now sound like cliches in our culture, God loves you. Jesus died for your sins. All these things that are profound and deep and meaningful, uh, that would move you to tears or deep laughter, if you really thought of the implications of it, uh, we treat as cliches. They're trite. They're superficial. They're non-entities. Um, But the fact is, God wants you to have a a life that you can say, I absolutely enjoy it. Uh, Isn't that the the gift that everybody wants at Christmas? Isn't that the gift everybody wants every day, uh, all year round? Uh, It's the kind of gift that allows us to to pray or hear a prayer uh, like Nicole prayed, that makes our hearts warm thinking, yeah, oh yeah, I get to call him Father, I get to call him Lord. And He pulls me into this relationship that I never thought was possible. There's a bunch of us here today who didn't grow up going to church who think this is the most crazy thing I would have never ever thought I would be doing this, I'd, I'd be getting up, driving in the rain to be in a, in a sanctuary or getting up and tuning in online live stream uh, on a Sunday morning uh, to worship God. Um, because somehow we've come to this place of understanding I get to enjoy my life right now in the face of all the circumstances that I'd like to change or hope to overcome uh, or some of the things that I miss desperately and I wish were still in my life. So it's about enjoying, not just enduring our life. Uh, Not an easy life or a simple life or a predictable, boring life. Though some days you'd say, just give me a safe, boring, predictable life. Uh, Now if you're living a disordered life, that's probably something you should be looking at. But let's just say your life is, is pretty much working, and yet you're saying, I just, I just wish it was more predictable, and safe, and boring. You really don't. You really don't want that. Uh, because as soon as we get to that place, and that's the place where our culture is right now, ironically, our great culture, our fantastic country is in a place of absolute boredom. You might think, there's no way we're not bored. We are bored. Our affluence and the amount of stuff coming at us every day uh, makes us bored. How could it possibly make us bored? Boredom is that uh, what's what's going on on my phone? I just checked it ten seconds ago, and I I might miss something. Uh, This is one of the crazy things about living in our culture. Western Europe is bored. Uh, As soon as you take away all the things that cause you to say life is a gift and a wonder from God, you become bored. And when we become bored, we start filling our life with something to stimulate us, to give us a sense of meaning and purpose, and it gets crazier and crazier and crazier until we're doing things and thinking things about ourselves and other people that we'd have never thought we'd get to. But because we have taken out the main option of enjoying life, it's a vacuum that just sucks in other alternatives. So I'm talking about a life that's defined by joy. To enjoy life uh, is is to delight in it. It doesn't mean the circumstances are perfect, but it means we, in the midst of those circumstances, whatever they are, are making a decision to treat it as a gift, and we're delighting in it. The kid that drives you crazy, that puts her hand in something, that puts the hand on the wall or the white couch. Um, a friend was telling us this week that uh, her, she had a, 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 when her son was small. Um, she grew up in a family with girls. And her mother was saying, I don't know why you keep complaining about what a big deal it is having, having this little boy. And she said, Mom, I don't even have five minutes to go to the bathroom. She goes, well, go to the bathroom. I'm here. She goes to the bathroom. She comes back, and, the, and her mother is beside herself because the mother is an artist, and the little boy had seen some paint and put his hand in the paint and put his hand on the white couch in less than five minutes, right? Uh, craziness. Um, a life defined by joy. Uh, is a life that is um, a life that prepares us to enjoy, to, to delight in things. Even the little boy that puts his paint-covered hand on a white couch and smiles at you, saying, "Isn't it beautiful? I'm just like Grandma. I am an artist." Uh, so, how do we define joy? Uh, really simply, uh, Jesus others you. J O Y. Jesus others you. Jesus, others, you. Sometimes you have to focus on the you, sometimes you focus on the others. Always we lead with Jesus. And as, again, it's not to be religious, not to be superstitious, not to be in this manic OCD mode about God. Oh, did I do something for Jesus yet? Did I touch that for Jesus? Did I? You're right. Uh, so if we can do lots of things in the name of Jesus that, that are more about our own insecurity and our own superstition, And I I won't give you examples because every time I do, somebody comes up and complains that I've offended some segment of the church somewhere. Uh, Whether it's my grandmother who went to Mass every day and was a miserable person. You go, how can you say that in public? Well, only because I experienced it in private. I don't know. I I mean, uh, And uh, yet, uh, I know people go to Mass every day and they're alive. It's vital. It's the thing that gives them their bearings for the day. Uh, I can take you to a place like Mount Athos, the, the, the holy sanctum of the Byzantine church, the, the center of the Greek Orthodox Church. And I can show you monks and, and deeply committed religious people who every day wake up saying, Yasu Christo Sasame, Yasu Christos. You know, they're praying the Jesus prayer and they're miserable. And when you talk to some of the brothers there and you say, I don't get this, they say, Neither do they. We can, we can devolve into that. We can make Jesus, others, you this kind of a mantra that, oh no, did I get it Did the order right? Did I do something? No. It's just about saying, if, if, if your life is going to be a delight, if you're going to enjoy it, you start with joy, and that joy includes Jesus, others, and you. What are you doing for you right now, this season? Are you doing anything for you? Are you taking time for you to simply sit in the presence of God or to take a walk in a quiet place or to go to the mall? The mall can be ambient noise that allows you just to to just clear your head. You see things that delight you or distract you, and it gets you thinking. And and whatever it takes for you, are you doing something for you? How are you including others? It might be that this season is demanding of you everything for others, and you're feeling depleted. You have to carry Christmas on your shoulders for your family and all your friends. But you're doing it because you love them and you delight in them. Are you doing something for you? And if you're doing something for you, does it include Jesus? Because it's His power in you and through you that's going to sustain you through all the responsibilities and the demands of your life. So all of a sudden you realize this is actually a fundamental, practical way of managing and experiencing your life. Not just a religious rubric or a talisman or like a lucky rabbit's foot, but it's got Jesus' name on it. It's saying this is the content that shapes my life and allows me to see it as a gift, to delight in it, and, and to actually enjoy it. Somebody could say to you, well, if I was living your life, I would not be enjoying that. And you, you, get, you can say to them, hey, with all due respect, uh, I hope you're enjoying your life as much as I'm enjoying mine, because I'm actually enjoying my life. Uh, last week I said that God delights in us. Uh, that means he welcomes us into his presence with joy. He doesn't say, look, would you come back later? I've had enough of you. Oh, no, not you again. He doesn't ghost us. He doesn't hang up on us. He doesn't wait for the voicemail to come through and decide if he wants to talk to us. He welcomes us into his presence with joy. He created the world for our enjoyment and created us to enjoy the world. We have this capacity to enjoy the world. This is built into us. This is a feature, not a bug. This is who we are. We are meant to enjoy the world. I have met people who, with all good intentions, think like, uh, think that, to enjoy life is somehow selfish. Now can they? For people who spend all their life trying to entertain themselves to fix their boredom, yeah. Let that sink in. He created the world for our enjoyment and created us to enjoy the world. So this week we want to focus on what it looks like to take delight in the Lord who created us with that capacity and to reflect a little bit on the life that He's giving us in Christ. After all, it's Christmas. So the first big idea is this. Jesus said enjoying life is seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And everything else will follow from that. Now this, this kind of summarizes a whole series of things that have preceded. We're going to be looking at this in the new year, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and walking through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So we're really in the birth narratives, you know, in Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. But Jesus said, this is the secret, this is the source. And it's an open secret, it's a public secret, it's not a, information being withheld. The, you first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not as to, in order to earn something or to be qualified for something, just because that's where it is. There's a man named uh, Willie Sutton, and he spent many years of his life in prison robbing, from robbing banks. And they said, Willie, you've, every time you get out, you go rob more banks. Why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is. <laughs> we go where the treasure is. And so we seek God and his kingdom. We start there because that's where the source of all good things are. We think in this day and age it starts and ends with Amazon. It starts and ends with the Alpha and Omega, (laughs) the Lord himself. So that's the first big idea. Jesus said enjoying life is seeking God's kingdom and righteousness. Now the, the sad thing is you won't hear this anywhere in public media. Now we, I believe in separation of church and state. I don't mean that they should be distinctly different. I'm saying our faith ought to be integrated in everything we do in the public place, in the marketplace, in the political world. But we, we don't want anybody being oppressed by somebody's religious faith. We're all good with that, right? But you're not going to hear this idea that, that enjoyment begins with seeking the kingdom of God. Uh, it used to be that there were the Ten Commandments in pretty much every public school in America. Uh, if, you went, if you walked into the library at Harvard, it said, Thou Shalt Not Steal. It was taped on the stapler. One, we don't need staplers anymore. And, and, and it, toward the end of the stapler's life in, in that library at Harvard, it said, Stealing is socially inappropriate. It had nothing to do with offending God or offending the image of God in us. So you won't hear this in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, graduate school. It won't be recommended in most media. But it is the essential part of the Christian message. We must start with seeking the kingdom of God. And God makes it easy for us. He came himself to say, here's the way. Here's the truth. Here's the life. It's in me. Uh, so life is better with a guide. Any, anybody here a mycologist? I'm just curious. Are there any mycologists here today? I'm not seeing any hands. A mycologist is a super important person. Uh, have you eaten a mushroom lately? Have you eaten a mushroom lately? When you go to the beautiful restaurant the, the Chic Cafe and it says wild mushroom risotto pasta with wild mushrooms. You don't think twice about eating it. Why? Because some mycologist has been there ahead of you. He's guided whoever the purveyor is for those mushrooms into picking the right mushroom. We had this awesome bloom of mushrooms in, in, in a flower pot in our yard and I was so stoked. I looked it up and and, and, and it looked so good. And then I looked again and it said, this poisonous, deadly mushroom looks exactly like, I'm like, oh, there's no way I was going to eat it. But I said, Janet, have you ever tried? No, I didn't. Do it. Um, a mycologist can walk you through the, the woods and say, see that mushroom? You go, yeah, don't touch it. See that one? Let's pick as many as we can find. So this is the beautiful thing about having a guide. Uh, if you travel with a guide, if you've ever gone on a tour, I used to have of the mind that I would never hire a guide. Why would you hire a guide? Until, I realized, until one time I was in a situation where there was a guide, and I realized, oh my gosh, the guide isn't telling you what to think. He's helping you have an experience of your own in the presence of this great art or this beautiful place, this architecture. Uh, try going fly fishing in any great America uh, trout stream without a guide. You're spend a lot of time and money unless you have months and months and months to, keep, to get into it and see it. You need somebody who can efficiently say, we're going to go through a lot of water and then we're going to get to some water where fish are holding. And this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to approach it. Now you still have to do the fishing. But that guide is going to set you up to engage as, as, as effectively and efficiently as possible. Guides are super important. Guess what? We have a guide into the kingdom of God life is better with a guide. Jesus is our guide to the kingdom of God. That's why we celebrate his birth as a very big deal. It's not just to honor a wonderful person who died a long time ago. It's because he is our guide. He's the one who knows how to lead us into the way and the truth and the life. Now, this took a lot of convincing for me to accept. And maybe you're in that place today watching or or here saying, you know, I, I believe it, but I don't really believe it. I know so many people who would say, I, I, believe, I believe in Jesus. I just can't handle the Old Testament. Just don't go there. In fact, I, I, because I don't handle the Old Testament, I'm not really interested in the New Testament. I don't understand it. I'm just a Jesus person. I'm thinking, if you're not a Jesus person, I mean, if you are a Jesus person and you don't like the book that Jesus loved, how do you know what it means to be a Jesus person? Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament. And the Bible that Jesus then gave us was his fulfillment of the New, of Old Testament, we call the New Testament. Bad terms, Old Testament, New Testament, not very good terms. But that's what we call them. The first, the first Testament, the Second, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But all of it tells us about who Jesus is. And so if you're a Jesus person, you have to know his word. If you don't know his word, then you don't know much about Jesus. He's a trustworthy guide because he helps us to understand how the world was made, why it was made, what our part of the world is, how we're wired to, for beauty and truth and creative things, how we're also wired for selfishness and envy and resentment. He helps us navigate and understand. He doesn't subvert our experience of life. He helps us enter into a fuller experience of life. He helps us do things that are counterintuitive, like loving our enemies, caring for people who don't care about us, helping people that for their own choices and bad decisions are living a life that I'm not going to spend my time and money to help them. Why? They don't deserve it. They had their chance, they screwed up. I did my homework, they didn't. I played by the rules, they didn't. And all of a sudden, when we start walking with Jesus, he says, yeah, all that's really true. Let's go help them. Let's care about them in spite of. Whoa. So life is better with a guide. Um, And and we want a guide that we can trust. When I was about five years old, uh, we had moved earlier, I mean, we'd moved from Great Britain to the United States, living in Tucson, Arizona. And I was about five, and some friends of my parents, friends of my parents, they were not certainly friends of mine, In this party, uh, this guy was eating some salsa and chips. And I looked, and I was curious, the five-year-old said, what are you eating? He goes, oh, here, have some. Well, as the top of my head popped off, the flames flew out. My mouth is on fire. It's like a cartoon. My tongue's going, vroom, vroom, vroom. I'm running around in circles like the kid at home alone, screaming. And my mom goes, What happened? I said, I, I tried. And the guy's laughing. Oh, I just gave him some salsa. My mom, five foot two, probably could have taken the guy apart in that moment. She was petite and very kind. And she just looked at him with this look that said, If looks could kill. And the guy said, oh, so sorry, sorry. He thought it was funny. It wasn't funny. He was a wise guy, not a wise guide. It took me a long time before I ever tried salsa again. But if you have a good guide, they'll say, hey, now this is going to be hot, but it's it's really mild hot. Try this and see. And you build up your, not just tolerance, but appreciation, right? This is the beautiful thing. We have a guide. And, And when you meet Jesus, he introduces you inevitably to a whole bunch of other guides. People who do things in the world that would allow you to say, what does it look like to be a lawyer who who starts with, I want to serve God as I serve my clients? What does it mean to, to go to a physician who says, I value the fact that you're created in the image of God, so we do everything we can to help you get better? What would it be like to have a coach or a teacher that you found out later that they loved Jesus in a way that was credible and created more character and integrity, and when they were coaching you, they were doing it with the idea of, I'm forming a human being, not just making a better athlete. You see the power of this? The guide of guides makes us guides for the rest of the world. And when somebody says, why do you do what you do? Uh, you say, well, a bunch of reasons, but basically I'm a follower of Jesus, and I think this is what he wants me to do to honor, glorify him, and bless you. Wow. Now, some people will game that. People can gain anything. Anybody lead, leading with, hey, I'm a Christian, you know, I always start with, well, what does that mean to you? Um, so having a competent guide uh, we trust is the key to enjoying life. Jesus is our guide. How do we know? The writer of Hebrews says it this way. In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son in these recent days. In these days when we we're seeing the outworking of God's uh, Holy Spirit through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and the, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit... The writer of Hebrews is telling us this summary of the entire Old Testament revelation, right? He says God has spoken to us by His Son whom He has appointed heir of all things and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Whoa, he's a qualified guide, a trustworthy guide. We see that throughout his ministry, uh, there's like three or four examples of this. Jesus is anointed with oil. And sometimes the comment is, well, you know, it was was preparing for his death. No, uh, read what it was, was about his joy. He was anointed with with oil as a symbol of joy. Why? Because our king has come into the world. Uh, Later, the writer of Hebrews again will say, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross and the shame not because he was looking forward to the cross and the shame, but the joy on the other side of that was we would be brought into a saved relationship with him. And for that joy, he was anointed. And so the writer of Hebrews continues in chapter 1 saying, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. What is this language? Therefore God, your God. Who's he talking to? He's talking to and about Jesus. He has set you above. Because the writer of Hebrews is saying, we're not talking about angelic beings. We're not talking about spiritual interesting things. We're talking about God himself. Higher than the angels. Higher than the prophets. Higher than the priests. He's the one who's been anointed with the oil of joy. To allow us to enjoy life in him. And so Jesus fulfills the hope in every human heart for this kind of joy. This is what beats in every human heart. Every little kid says, I wish it could be better for my mom and dad. Or, I wish we could just have peace in our village or in our home, our country. As we get older and older, we want that, we want that, we want that. We become, we can, we be, we become hardened and defensive, guarded, cynical, but we still want it. And Jesus said it this way, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's guiding us through this world so that we can enjoy it as we go. But he's taking us to somewhere even better. So the fullest expression of our enjoyment will not happen in this world. You'll never get it so wired that it's just perfect. But you're on the way to being being, uh, transformed in the likeness of Christ. So when he establishes a new heaven and a new earth, it will all come together. That teleos, that, that perfection, that completion will happen. But right now the process is important as the progress. That's why we pay attention right now. We don't just say, well, I'm saved, I'm going to kind of hang out until God comes back. No, If we begin this journey of, of joy, a journey of generosity, a journey of enjoyment. And that's why the angelic host can can proclaim what what they proclaimed. Uh, We see this in Luke 2. Messiah has come. Everything you've been hoping for, it's here. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory of God. The glory that Moses experienced on the mountain of Sinai. The glory of God that that permeated the temple. This is the glory that shone forth on these shepherds. And it says they were terrified. They knew a lot of stuff about God, but they had no category for this experience of God. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. It will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And then Jesus was able to say in, in one of his parables about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Which is a weird parable for us. It's an insight into first century banking and property rights and unclaimed assets. It sounds like nothing but deviousness to us. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy discovers treasure in a field. He knows somebody owns it. He doesn't go to them and say, hey, I found treasure in your field. He goes to them and says, hey, can I buy your field? And they do the deal, and apparently this guy is okay with the treasure, as is the seller of the land. Well, the reason this makes sense in the first century context is that where, what bank do you go to? There is no bank to go anywhere. You don't go to a bank. There's no bank. And so what you do is you bury stuff. And you know where you buried it, and wherever you buried it, you know you'll come back and get it. Now, it's not your land, but underneath it, your stuff is residing until you're ready for it. Now, if the guy had owned, who owned the land knew it was there, it wouldn't have been an issue. Well, sure, I'll sell you my land, but I've got to get my treasure out first. So really, it was just a, 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 a repository uh, of wealth that this guy discovers and then does the deal. The other funny thing is that, you know, every 50 years, all land and all debts were, all debts were canceled and all land reverted to the original owner. So if you bought land at the 49th year, uh, it would be deeply discounted because hey, a year from now, it goes back to the, the family that originally owned it. So you see, it's a little picture of the economic structure of the day. But this guy says, this treasure does not belong to me yet. It doesn't belong to the guy who owns the field. But the guy who, belongs, who owns the field has access to it in a way that I don't. So I'm going to buy this. So it's a beautiful picture of somebody saying, I'm all in on the kingdom of God. Because whatever treasure I have, I'm willing to lay it out there to say there's something better at stake here. I love the way Paul said it. You know, if, if Jesus said it in a way that reveals that we have resources, enabling us to have hope and bring hope to people, guess what? Paul then exemplifies that. The Apostle Paul, former hostile rabbi, now follower of Jesus, writer of a big chunk of the New Testament. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plent, plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You know that verse probably, Philippians 4, 11 to 12 I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's a statement of I know how to enjoy life. I've enjoyed it with plenty. I've enjoyed it with less than that. I've enjoyed it through some very bad times. I've enjoyed it through some very wonderful, easy times. You see, this is the resilience that God wants to give us. Merry Christmas. He wants you to enjoy life. So He's going to give you the resilience, the capacity to not be head faked by, well, they were out of the toy that I wanted to buy. It's going to be a lousy Christmas. You know, I didn't get what I requested. So that brings us to the second point, that enjoying life is inextricably linked to enjoying God. It's not just believing things about God or knowing things about God. It's a relationship. If you're here with somebody you love, maybe you just started dating them, so you wouldn't maybe call it love. you go, a strong like. Or maybe you've been dating them, and you think, this is the one for me. I am in love. Maybe you're sitting with somebody who you've been married to for a long time, and you say, love like. It goes back and forth. No, you're, you're you know, um, in all those cases, it's about a relationship. If you're just newly dating, you're going, "Gosh, you know, there's things that intrigue me about him or her. I'm curious. I'm interested. If it's what I think, I person is phenomenal." And you're in this journey of discovery. It's really fun. But it's not just like yeah, I saw this cute girl, saw this cute guy, and I, I just fantasize about them. But I don't know them. I'm actually getting in to know them in a relationship. And if you're deeper in that relationship, it's really powerful. And if you've been in that relationship for a long time, you're saying, hey, we've been through a lot together, but here we are together. Or if you've lost that loved one in your life, you're saying, I have so many memories and treasures in my heart and my mind that sustain me. You see the power of relationship? You know the power of relationship. This is likewise what God wants us with Him. So this whole idea of enjoying life is linked to enjoying a personal relationship with God that you can't see or can't hear, but you can experience so if you've gotten tired of hearing people talking about a personal relationship with God, don't think that they're talking about my personal God. They're talking about getting to know God in a personal way. You might be stymied and stuck right now going, I'm kind of bored in my faith. Because God just seems out of reach. Well, there's some things that you can do that would make it feel like I'm making progress and actually learning how to relate to Him. It starts with embracing God, knowing Him as a source for enjoying life now and in the world to come. If we neglect God now, I'm too busy, but I'll get back to that. I already believe in you, so we're good there. I've checked that box. Yeah, but he wants to be involved in your life in practical ways throughout the day, every day, all the days of your life. It gets very personal, intimate. And we limit our joy and our enjoyment of life now if we neglect that intimacy with God. And if it's not going well for you, if it seems challenging to you or intimidating or frustrating, hang in there. Because those people I mentioned earlier, the ones who just started dating or who know they're in love and want to get married or have been together a long time, they have those times and they feel like, are you a million miles away or what? And what do you do? Throw up your hand, blame them, you're not, you're not enough for me. Or do you say, you know what, I think we've come to a place where we've plateaued and we need to do some things to get off this stuck place. Maybe resolve some conflict. Maybe be more forthcoming about what we're feeling. in in it thinking. Maybe taking some more risks in the relationship. Maybe making a commitment so that that relationship can go to that next place. Are you with me on this? We know this is true in relationships with people. It's true in our relationship with God. It's intensely relational. And so what do we do? We worship and we pray. We read and we learn. We talk to you, God. We talk about God. Uh, We talk about Him with others. We submit to Him. But most importantly, we build a life centered around the lord that's not an idealized life gosh as i get to know jesus everything will be perfect nor is it an idolized life i've got these idols if i do these certain things then it's going to be okay with me and god no simply a relationship with all the dynamic fluid elements in any relationship i love the fact that that intimacy comes in lots of forms the intimacy, we think of intimacy in our culture as sexuality. So a passionate sexual relationship is a form of intimacy. But a profound version of intimacy is holding a baby. That's a deep, deep sense of intimacy. Uh, uh, talk to any woman who's, who's breastfeeding a baby, she'd say, oh, just this intimate moment. How about driving from here to Mammoth on 395? And, and it's easy to, at points along that way to get bored out of your gourd. You're with somebody you know well, and you don't have to talk. It's just kind of enjoying being together. It's 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 a it's a quiet intimacy. It's not uncomfortable like something. You okay? You know. It's more like I'm just good being here. You see, all the ways intimacy happens this is what happens with God too. So real life is rooted in a personal relationship with God that anchors us in one a covenant community. Covenant meaning just the relationship that God initiates and sustains a covenant a commitment. And in that covenant community, we get to then express that with each other. And we're sustained, we're anchored, we're rooted. It gives us ballast. It gives us stability. And then he gives us wisdom and discernment for overcoming misinformation and disinformation. People have some crazy things they've pulled out of the Bible because they haven't read it in context. And so that's, that's a misinformation. Or there's people who've never read it but tell you things why you, about why you shouldn't read it. Dismiss it out of hand without ever having entered into it. So in the, in the wisdom of God, he's leading us into a way of saying, no, that's misinformation. It actually says this, not that. Disinformation. Well, no. Have you actually seen what it says? And so why does he do this for us? Because he's shaping our character. He's showing us our meaning and purpose in life. He's teaching us love and compassion. He's teaching us uh, persistence and perseverance and resilience. He's teaching us how to sacrifice and suffer without being a baby about it, whining and moaning. He's teaching us to give ourselves away in a way that doesn't cause us to lose ourselves, but to understand ourselves better. A healthy relationship, a dysfunctional relationship, rather, let me start there, is one that you lose your identity. A healthy relationship means you're gaining a stronger sense of your own identity but with a higher, deeper, bigger capacity to give yourself to other people. It's counterintuitive. This is what happens in this intimate relationship with God. Why? Rivers of living water come into us and flow from us. It's never depleted. He gives us what we need as we need it. That's why a lot of people don't grow. They say, "Uh, I don't see that I can do that. No kidding, you can't do that. God will give you more than you can handle. That's the whole point. Because as you step out and trust in Him, He provides what you need. You go, whoa, I didn't know. Right. So start with what you know. He says, trust me, follow me, submit to me, and you will then build on what you know. And you won't be foolhardy when somebody says, let's do some outrageous thing. Let's jump in front of a truck for God and see if He protects us. You go, yeah, been there, done that. Jesus said to the devil, don't do that. But you will start to say that I can take risks, I can also play it safe, because I'm, I'm, I'm becoming wise and discerning. My friend who go, went up to San Quentin, has been doing this for a few years now, isn't an idealistic you know, uh, airhead. He doesn't walk into a, that place and go, hey, everybody's my friend. You know, he walks in there going, all right, let's see where these guys are and, and if they're real about this. And it, over time, one of these guys is getting out, and my friend saying, I'm so excited because I'm going to help him connect to his dream. And I give him some opportunities to do that. We'll see how he does. Whoa. So this is the wisdom, the durability of a deep relationship with the living God. Because he wants to give us the proper perspective. He wants us to know that you're more than your successes and your failures in him. Now, in this fallen world, our gravitational pull is for our own needs, our own wants, our own desires. We default to that. What's in it for me? What's best for me? It gets us into all kinds of horrible trouble. But in his kingdom, we have the same needs, wants, desires, aspirations, dreams, but also now we have a perspective, a context for saying, God's going to help me achieve those in a way that won't tank me or other people. In his kingdom, we learn to understand our needs, wants, and desires. We we understand wise choices. We learn how to say yes in the right way, no in the right way, uh, at the right times. And that's why money, sex, and power alone aren't enough. Without the Lord, they become toxic. In the Lord, they become beautiful expressions of life. In fact, the most toxic thing we must confront in this world is worry. That's the most toxic element in robbing you of enjoying life, is worry. Uh, We live in a FOMO world, right? The fear of missing out world. What's life like in the FOMO world? Well... Because we're worried about missing out, we go on the offensive. James describes it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill or do something equivalent. You take somebody out. You drop somebody off. You just do whatever you need to do. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight hey, you're not giving me what I need. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. Your job is to make me happy. I'm not happy. You're not doing your job. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, because we're about to say, well, no, I ask God. <laughs> but when you ask, James says, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You want a prayer to be answered that allows you to dominate and impress and control and you know, and, and God's saying, because I love you, I'm saying no. Because I love you and I'm and because I love other people, I don't want you to be that person in their life. The prayer, make people love me is a bad prayer. The prayer, Lord, teach me how to love is a good prayer. Lord, make them patient with me. <laughs> Versus, Lord, help me to learn how to be patient uh, or faithful so people don't need to be patient with me. And so he says, um, you know, you want to spend these things on, on your pleasures. Well, wait a minute. But isn't enjoying life about pleasure? Yeah, it is. Uh, but not as an end in itself at other people's expense. Uh, there's, there's a couple of words, as you can imagine, uh, in, in Hebrew and in Greek to describe pleasure. There's a pleasure that's all about me. I, me, mine. And not just caring for me or, you know, you know doing the appropriate thing for me. But it's about me. At the expense of you. And then there's a the pleasure that's all about, yeah, I get to enjoy life intensely, deeply, in a way that not only blesses me, but blesses people around me. And I don't have time to go into those word studies, but that's the power of this. Yes, it's all about pleasure, but the right kind of pleasure. So many times there's phrases like, this pleases God. The Lord is pleased with this throughout the Bible. And what are those moments when we're saying, Lord, Uh, Abba, the father, the daddy who loves me, what do you want to put in my hands? And what do you want me to give uh, from these hands uh, to people around me? So let me ask you the question, um, what are you enjoying most in your life right now? Uh, How's that working for you? How do you uh, think it's blessing you and blessing others? You might say, well I'm I'm enjoying it but I'm not sure I'd call it a blessing because I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know what my real motive is. It's to please me. I'm not sure that's going to bless somebody else. Mm. You might want to rethink how you define enjoying your life right now. Do you connect God with your enjoyment of life, or is he an impediment to enjoying your life? I said last week, nobody wants to invite Jesus anywhere. Hey, kids, great news. Jesus is going to be with us for Christmas. Oh, no. Hey, good news. Jesus is coming on vacation with us. Ah. So I ask you the question, where would you like more enjoyment in your life? And the question that follows that is then what commitments are you willing to make? Enjoyment is a commitment. It might be a commitment to learn and grow. It might be a commitment to humble yourself and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. It might be humbling yourself and say, I need help. I can't do it. It might be the wisdom and discernment that says, I would love to do this, but I'm not Uh, Debbie and some other folks were going to fly over the La Jolla Christmas Parade last Sunday. They were all geared up, ready to go. They'd trained, they'd, they'd worked on flying these vintage planes, all these phenomenally talented pilots. And wouldn't you know, as they flew from Gillespie Field in the sunshine, it was a massive bank of clouds over that miserable, rotten place called La Jolla, California. And they so desperately wanted to be able to fly over and delight everybody. Because a zillion people are kind of waiting. Jan and I are waiting. You know, all these people waiting for the planes, and uh, they they said, you know, if we want to kill everybody on the in the route, we'll go down under the clouds. Otherwise, we're just we can't do it next year, right? One guy who's Bill Allen, who's been doing it for forty-two years, was super bummed out, right? But this is the power, the power, the power of the commitments that we make as we learn to enjoy life. Sometimes it's a commitment of denial. Sometimes it's a commitment of being humble enough to say, yes, I, I will receive what you want to give me. Which leads us to this last point. If the first one is that Jesus said enjoying life starts with the kingdom of God, seeking first the kingdom, and secondly, it's then anchored and rooted in a deep, intimate relationship with God, here's, here's the part that pulls us in to take responsibility for our own happiness and enjoyment. Curiosity and gratitude are powerful engines for enjoying life. This is the final big point. Curiosity and gratitude are powerful, powerful engines for enjoying life. How's that going for you? Are you curious? I don't mean just curious like what did it for me. I'm, it's like curious in it. Lord, what is it you want to show me in this situation? What is it about this person that is so attractive to me? How can I I honor this relationship in a way that doesn't leave this person as collateral damage to my impulses? How can I avoid leaving wreckage in my wake as I treat people and encounter situations? One aspect of curiosity and gratitude is simply seeking out people who can guide you (laughs) in strengthening your curiosity. And guide you in expressing and recognizing gratitude. Seek the Lord's guidance in deepening your enjoyment of life and thanking Him in all things. This is a powerful biblical theme. So here's, here's the assignment for next week. Read the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke 1 and 2. Super easy to remember. The Christmas story is in Matthew chapters 1 and 2, Luke chapters 1 and 2. The implications of the Christmas story are in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But the specific details are Matthew chapters 1 and 2, Luke chapters 1 and 2. Read those. Just read them through. Just read them through. Uh, I'd, I'd read them all four chapters in a row. It'll take you all of 15 minutes. Just read them through. And then read them through again. And ask questions. I wonder what that was like. What would I have done if I was Joseph? Joseph. How do you think Mary felt when she first this? How do you think Mary thought her friends and family would feel? You know, so you start asking questions. Just let yourself go crazy and ask some questions. And then ponder the implications. Wow. Whoa. I hadn't really thought about that. Otherwise, we'll see them as set pieces. As we were driving, Jan and I were driving over here, we saw the Holy Family out in the rain. These figurines about this tall in front of this house were just out there in the rain. And they weren't moving. They weren't flinching. They weren't shivering. When we were saying today, you know, a, sh- a child shivering in the cold, give them silver and gold. How about just a blanket? Just give the kid a blanket. You know, there's the holy family. They're not set pieces. Read through the Gospels of Matthew and Luke 1 and 2 and let those people become real to you, not set pieces. Because enjoying life requires going deeper and understanding the details and the meaning and purpose of life. And if you're not curious about it, who God is and what He's done. You're committed to living a superficial, irrelevant life. Those might sound like harsh words, I'm just telling you. It's a superficial, irrelevant life you're setting yourself up for. Your curiosity is only as deep as your own impulses. And your gratitude will be as as superficial as that. If we want to have a deep enjoyable life. We've got to go deep in our understanding of life. And deep isn't some you know crazy mystical thing that only a few people can know. Everybody has full access to it simply by being curious. Hey, what's the implication of that? What do I go with that? What would that look like in my life? And how do I thank God for that as I'm getting understanding along the way? I, I, I love the way the, the Apostle Paul said it to the Thessalonians. They were having a super difficult time in persecution, etc. Tough cultural stuff going on. And he said, live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Rejoice always, praying continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He said, you folks want to live a life that you can enjoy? Do this in the midst of this horrible situation. So I ask you one more time, are you open to enjoying your life more? And I'll answer for you of course I am. Well yeah, of course you are. So I pray that you enjoy your life in Christ in fresh ways during this Advent season and you can do it. Because there are resources to help us do that. And it starts with asking and seeking and knocking like Jesus did. Ask. You get the answer, seek, you'll find, knock, the doors will be opened. And uh, I'll leave you with this. Start by opening the door to your heart and mind to Jesus. Revelation 3:20, famous Bible verse that people quote. They, they quote it as a verse for non-believers. In the context of Revelation, that last book in the Bible, it's written to believers, it's a message to the churches. It's not to non-believers, it's written to believers. And Jesus said, here I am, Hineni, in Hebrew, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. In this case, Jesus is knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Hang with Jesus this Christmas. (laughs) Invite Jesus into your world this Christmas. Have dinner with Jesus. Have lunch. Have breakfast with Jesus. Just imagine the implications of that. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer, that I would be curious about you. I'd be grateful for you. I pray that for each person in this room, whether they don't believe any of this, that somehow you'd you'd prompt them to have a, a, a holy curiosity, a deep hunger, for more. For those of us, Lord, who know you and maybe are plateaued and feeling a bit bored, help us to take those next steps of opening ourselves to you, humbling ourselves before you in curiosity and gratitude. For those who are going through really, really difficult times, Lord, and feeling maybe resentful and like you don't care, I pray you'd prompt their curiosity to understand why you'd let them go through what they're going through. Because you love them and you're doing something in them that is producing treasure in them that they don't even know about. Help them to be curious and grateful as well. Help each one of us. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. Let's uh, wrap up our worship with some music, and then I want to offer you a blessing. Gosh, Ugh. thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Christmas Eve will be jammed in here and outside and in the Welcome Center hearing that with candles in our hands. I can't wait. So here it is. God wants you to enjoy Him. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to take the next step, wherever that is for you? Maybe a first step. I don't know, I don't know. What do I do? I'll just take the first step. Or maybe you've been away and you're saying, I- I've taken steps away from Him. I don't deserve to come back. Are you kidding me? He's welcoming you back. You're back. Take that next step and reconciling with Him. Or maybe you're ready to do something that you're a little bit nervous. You, 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 it's just beyond you to do. He's with you. He's prepared you. You get the support of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Step up. Step out. If we can pray for you, it's a little wet out there, um, but if you want to come up afterwards, just stand right here and, and, and uh, there'll be people who pray with you or for you for whatever concerns you have for you or for other people or situations. In any case... Get something to eat. Um, Enjoy the rest of your day and look forward to worshiping you the next week and especially on Christmas Eve, 4 o'clock. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord fill you with His love, giving you everything you need to walk with Him now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: is the Lord.